Now, with those things shared, let's, let's get to our message today, all right? I want to make sure that you're informed about some things, but today my heart is to share this message. And we're going to look this morning at a family in the Bible who really we see more about their family interaction than just about any other family in the Scriptures. This message will be our last in this series that I'm going to call more general in nature because after this week, we're going to be speaking about some very specific topics. Over the next three weeks, we're going to speak about mental health, we're going to speak about sexual identity, and we're going to speak about alcohol and substance use. All of those are very specific topics that families and Christians in general need in our day and time, and you need to be prepared to talk about, and so we're going to address those over the next three weeks. But for today, we're going to look at four principles for families that they should live by. In fact, if there's a person in the Bible who is my favorite, guess who it would be? All right, for those of you that said Jesus, that is the correct church answer, right? If you're ever asked a question in church, if you say Jesus, how can you ever be wrong, right? You can never be wrong with Jesus, okay? But let's take Jesus out of the picture, right? If we, if, if we take the obvious one out of the picture and we say it's not Jesus, what character, who, who do you think is my most favorite in the Bible? I, I heard of Jacob, right? I heard Job. Oh, all the way around, right? I'm going to give you something this morning. My favorite character who intrigues me and inspires me and excites me is none other than Joseph. All right, Joseph. See, y'all didn't guess that one, did you? All right. We read about Joseph's life in the last half of the book of Genesis, and it begins really with his father, Jacob. If you know his father, Jacob, Jacob fell in love with Rachel, whose father was Laban. And so here's what Jacob did. He made an agreement with Laban that he would work for him for seven years in exchange for Rachel's hand in marriage. Now, after that seven years of work, what Laban did, though, was he tricked uh, Jacob into marrying Leah, Rachel's older sister. I'm assuming the wedding took place at night, right? Because it's in the morning when he woke up and he realized, oh, I married the wrong woman, right? I don't know how that happens. But anyway, so what he does is he goes to Laban and agrees to work for Laban for seven more years because it was Rachel that he still really loved, all right? And so he said, I'll work for you for seven more years and I'll marry Rachel as well. I'll go ahead and say this. I know it's complicated, right? It is complicated. Joseph's family was complicated because Rachel even had difficulty having children. And so before she gave birth to Joseph, Rachel and Leah also gave Jacob their servants to bear them children. And Leah to say, it became even more complicated, right? Complicated family situation. None of y'all have complicated family situations, right? You do, right? Yeah. However, when Rachel eventually did have children because Jacob loved her so much, Joseph became his favorite child. Rachel then died after giving birth to a second son named Benjamin, who Jacob also loved dearly. But maybe the fact that Rachel died after giving birth to him, the relationship was not as close as with Joseph. And as you read the scripture, here's what's very clear, right? What's very clear is that Jacob had a favorite child, and that favorite child was Joseph. Now, that takes me to the first principle that families need today. You ready for this? Avoid playing favorites. Okay, I hear the laughter. Is that laughter or was that groans? I'm not sure, right? This is one of those statements that seems obvious, right? However, what every one of us has to realize is that we have a tendency to play favorites in life. 
There are naturally people that we connect with easier than others or people that we share things in common with that make us gravitate to them more than others. I'm sure you have those people at work. I mean, there are those you go to church with. There are those you sit with at the ball games or the band contest. Those relationships then even happen in our homes. See, parents don't like to admit it, but there can often be easier connections with some kids than others, right? You don't want to admit it. For example, in our family, Kim and I were blessed with three boys and a girl. Because we had such a difficult time having children, when Andy, our firstborn, came along, he was such a miracle in our eyes that he is just a special child. He always has been, and he always will be, all right? But then when Jacob and Joshua came along, having twins was something else special, all right? And so now we have these twins. Wow, what a big deal. So they became special in our eyes. And I know none of y'all ever heard this expression, right? A daddy's girl. Y'all never heard that, right? So naturally, when Emily came along, she had a special place in my heart. You see, for each child, we've always tried to treat them equally, but there are reasons that we can say that we have a tendency to favor one over the other. In fact, our kids have a little joke. I don't know if y'all do this at home. Our kids have a little joke about who's the favorite in the family. It drives their mother insane. She gets very anxious when they start talking about a favorite, right? Oh, you want to make her nervous? Go ask her which one's her favorite child, all right? She'll probably start sweating. I put her on the lot, put her this morning. She'll kill me after church, so pray for me, all right? All right? But we've always tried to, to make sure that we didn't show favorites. In fact, this is what we always did. We always looked at Andy and said, Andy, you're our favorite firstborn. All right. Then we've always looked at Jacob and said, Jacob, you're our favorite oldest twin. And then we looked at Joshua and said, Joshua, you're our favorite youngest twin. And then, of course, we looked at Emily and said, you're our favorite daughter. That's right. See, we've always done that, right? Now, we've done that. Maybe why we've done that is because we realize this. We realize there's this tendency to play favorites, and so we're trying to remind ourselves, let's not play favorites. Let's treat all of our kids equally, but there is that natural tendency to have favorites. In fact, I hope you understand what I mean. If a parent loves sports and one child loves sports, but the other doesn't, there'll be a natural tendency to gravitate to the one who likes what you do. I mean, if one parent loves art and a child takes a liking to art, that same tendency to play favorites will emerge. We simply as parents need to be aware because it causes problems if we let favoritism be evident in our family. I'll go ahead and say this. Other children will quickly identify when one child is being treated differently than the others, especially if that means that one child is getting special favors. You see, for Jacob, his favoritism for Joseph was clearly known. His other children knew it, and it caused problems. Listen to what we read in Genesis 37. It says, now Israel, and Israel is, of course, another name for Jacob, loved Joseph more than any other of his sons because he was the son of his old age. And he made him a robe of many colors. But when his brothers saw that their father loved him more than all his brothers, look at this, they hated him and could not speak peacefully to him. You see, the scriptures are honest, and the honest picture of these brothers who watched their father show favoritism to Joseph was that they hated him, and they could not even speak to him in a peaceful manner. Let me say this, parents, grandparents, aunts, uncles, godparents, know that favoritism is never a good thing, and so do your best to avoid it. Now, as I say that, I want to get to my next point because it just naturally flows. The second thing is this, don't let bitterness take root in your life. In fact, now, if we turn our attention from the father for a moment and put it on the siblings, we must acknowledge that their response was not right. Can I ask you this? Could Joseph control the fact that his father played favoritism? 
He couldn't, right? No, it really wasn't his fault. Well, we'll see here in a moment, Joseph didn't help himself any, but at least the initial favoritism could not be blamed on Joseph. Yet his brothers were angry at him. I'm reminded how dangerous anger can be. You know, a couple of verses that you should be familiar with if you are not already are Ephesians chapter 4, verses 26 and 27, where it says this, be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger and give no opportunity to the devil. See, the Bible is very clear that we should deal with any kind of anger or bitterness that we have in our lives immediately. Because if not, hear me, We give the devil an opportunity to work in our lives. In fact, take a moment and just reflect on a time when you got upset or angry with someone, all right? What happened when you got upset with that person? What happened when you allowed that to simmer in your heart and your mind? What what happened? Well, probably a couple of things, right? First, you probably began to multiply the reasons you had a right to be angry, right? More and more things came to your mind that the person you are angry with has either done wrong either against you or others, and so you began to create all these reasons to justify your anger. Also, you began to notice more of the things this person did that were wrong, at least in your eyes. Then you began to ponder how you're going to react to this person. You may have even practiced conversations in your mind about how you're going to tell that person off and give him or her a piece of your mind. Some even went beyond that to plan how you were going to get even. Maybe you were going to talk bad about them to somebody else, or you were going to try to get them in trouble one way or another. Some may even have contemplated physical harm, but in your mind, the anger and bitterness continued to grow. I wonder if anybody here has ever had that experience. We don't want to raise our hand, but if we were bold enough, we'd all have to raise our hand and say, I've been there in life at one time or another, right? God says this to us, though. Don't let the sun go down on your anger. The more you let anger reside in your life, the worse it gets. Sometimes you take care of that anger by having a conversation with the person you're angry with, which by the way, you ready? If that person lives in your home, there's no reason you can't have that conversation right away, right? I know early in our marriage, Kim and I made a pledge that we were going to live by these verses found in Ephesians chapter four, all right? Now, we've failed a few times in 35 years of marriage, but for the most part, we have abided by these verses. And what I can tell you is this, is it is a healthy thing to deal with your anger before the sun goes down or at least before you go to bed. You see, this can apply to a spouse, to children, to siblings, to any other person. Dealing with your anger, listen, doesn't even necessarily mean that a resolution is found in that moment. But at least you can have a piece of the soul that prevents the devil from getting a hold of your life. That's why it says in Hebrews 12, 15, see to it that no one fails to obtain the grace of God, that no root of bitterness springs up and causes trouble, and by it many become defiled. You see, folks, when bitterness is allowed to exist, it causes trouble and many become defiled, in part... Because bitterness often leads to wrong actions by the one who was originally maybe offended. Hebrews 12, 15 also gives us a hint of how you deal with this bitterness as a Christian. You remember the grace that God gave to you that you then give to others. You didn't deserve God's forgiveness, and there might be many in your life who you don't think deserve your forgiveness. However, just as God forgave you through his grace, you forgive others. Family life will give you many, hearing many opportunities to be bitter right? It will. So in your family, you need to work to make sure that bitterness does not take root. 
You see, Joseph's brothers didn't heed this advice, and so bitterness took root. And so everything was seen through the lens of bitterness. And so one day, Joseph comes to his family and tells them a dream he had. Listen to the encounter in Genesis 37, beginning back in verse 5. It says, now, Joseph had a dream, and when he told it to his brothers, they hated him even more. He said to them, hear this dream that I have dreamed. Behold, we were binding sheaves in the field, and behold, my sheaf arose and stood upright, and behold, your sheaves gathered around it and bowed down to my sheaf. His brother said to him, are you indeed to reign over us? Are you indeed to rule over us? And so they hated him even more for his dreams and for his words. Now, I said earlier that Joseph didn't help himself with his brothers, and telling this dream to them was one of his mistakes. I have often wondered, did Joseph understand the meaning of the dream, and so he was flaunting it before his brothers, or was he just telling it to them innocently? I I, I mean, I don't know the answer. It is clear that the dream gave the indication that the brothers would one day bow down to him. He should have understood that this upset his brothers by the reaction, but he didn't learn because if you know anything, he has another similar dream, basically saying the same thing, and he tells his brothers that dream as well, and so guess what happens to them? Guess what happens? They get even more angry and upset. Now, what I know is that the scripture tells us at this time, Joseph was 17. So at least he was probably a little mature, right? Maybe a little cocky. Whichever the case, here's what is clear. Because his brothers already had bitterness in their hearts, they viewed his telling of the dreams in a negative light and it fueled the anger and the bitterness that was already there because they had let that bitterness grow. Because these brothers did not deal with their bitterness, it continued to grow until it came to a breaking point. And one day the brothers were out pasturing their flock a fair distance from home when Jacob sent Joseph to check on his brothers to make sure they were okay. And he, he, he makes it to where his brothers are. And this is what we read in Genesis 37, 18. They saw him from afar and before he came near to them, they conspired against him to kill him. They said to one another, here comes this dreamer. Come now, let us kill him and throw him into one of the pits. Then we will say that a fierce animal has devoured him. We will see what will become of of his dreams. Look, you see, their bitterness had grown to the point that now they plan to kill their brother. When I read this, I have to believe that because of the bitterness that at least some of these brothers had dreamed about such an opportunity to kill him. Maybe this was a spur-of-the-moment thought, but to me, it seems like one of them, at least one of the things that, that were happening in these brothers, that they had been thinking about, how do we get rid of Joseph without hurting our father? Let me say it one more time. You ready? Don't let bitterness take root in your life, okay? Thankfully, one of the brothers had compassion or at least a conscience. Reuben speaks up and came up with a different suggestion. He said, well, let's, let's just throw Joseph in the pit instead of killing him, And scripture tells us that Reuben intended to restore Joseph to his father. He was trying to save Joseph. So the brothers throw him into the pit, and for the moment, they had no further plans. Think about this. However, as Satan loves to do, when bitterness is winning, when bitterness is winning, Satan can provide an opportunity for you to act on that bitterness. And so as the brothers sat down to eat... So happens by a group of Ishmaelites on their way to Egypt. And so the brothers, other than Reuben, come up with a way to personally profit from their anger. They decided to sell Joseph into slavery and just tell their father that he was killed. 
As Satan has a way of doing, he makes us see the benefits of acting on our anger and not seeing the negative consequences. And so these brothers carry out the plot. They sell Joseph into slavery. They take the multicolored coat that their father had given Joseph, cover it with blood, and tell their father they assume Joseph was killed by a wild animal on his way to check on them. Of course, Jacob cried in agony while the sons kept quiet about their deception. Let me tell you the results of the bitterness. You ready? Life got harder. Life got harder. Life got harder for these brothers. It became more difficult for them because now they were maintaining a lie with their fathers. And as the scripture says in Psalm 32 about our sins, for when I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. All right. So life became more difficult for these brothers as they kept silent about their sin. And life became more difficult for Joseph as he began a life as a slave and experienced many what we would call unfair circumstances in life. Joseph not only unfortunately became a slave, but later he is falsely accused of attempted rape and then later forgotten about after helping others in prison, all right? Which leads me to my next point that, that families need to hear. You need to recognize that God is even at work in the difficulties of life, okay? Look at this. If we stop right here in Joseph's life, if we just stop, what I've already showed you, we would look and say, what a tragedy and what a waste, would we not? Would you agree? How sad for what happened in this family is now a father has been separated from his son, believing he is dead, and a son and a brother has been separated from his family because of favoritism and bitterness. It seems like nothing but a tragic story. And it could have been nothing but a tragic story if it's not for God. But God works even in the difficult moments of life. Hear me. God even works through our imperfections. Amen? If to this point in Joseph's story, you look at him as nothing but a spoiled brat, you need to understand there's more to be seen. Let's pick up his story in Genesis 39. It says, now Joseph had been brought down to Egypt and Potiphar, an officer of Pharaoh, the captain of the guard, an Egyptian, had bought him from the Ishmaelites who had brought him down there. The Lord was with Joseph and he became a successful man and he was in the house of his Egyptian master. His master saw that the Lord was with him and that the Lord caused all that he did to succeed in his hands. See, I guarantee that for most people who are introduced to Joseph's story, for the first time, you would not see what happened to Joseph as a good thing. Some may think he was getting what he deserved because of his sharing his dream, but they wouldn't have judged what was happening to him as good. However, what I want you to see is very important, all right? It's the words that started verse 4. Look at verse 4 again, all right? The Lord was with Joseph. Life might have been difficult for Joseph at this point, but the Lord had not left him. The Lord was indeed with him. As we saw here in the text, not only was the Lord with him, but the Lord blessed him in the midst of his difficulty and caused him to be successful so that no matter where he found himself, he found success. Here as a slave in Potiphar's house, he was successful. Later, he will end up in prison unjustly, but the Lord makes him successful to the point that the head of the prison puts him in charge of all the other prisoners. And then finally, he's going to end up in Pharaoh's court where God makes him successful again, and he becomes second only in power to Pharaoh himself. Let me remind everyone listening to me today who may be in a difficult situation, the Lord has not left you. All right. The Lord can make you successful despite what is going on. 
Maybe you're here today and you're single because your spouse has left you. I want you to know that God hasn't and he will be with you. Maybe you are here and you've been overlooked at work. God sees you and he is with you. Maybe you are here and your parents have turned their back on you. God is still there. Maybe your children are living in rebellion and you are the one suffering for your child's choices. Know that God still sees and knows and he is still there. Not only is he still there, he is truly is at work. He is at work in your life as he was at work in Joseph's life. You see, many of you know Joseph's story. Here he is as a slave because his brothers hated him. As he serves Potiphar faithfully, Potiphar's wife takes a liking to him, tries to seduce him. But when Joseph resists because he wants to do what's right in the eyes of the Lord, she cries rape and Joseph is put in prison unjustly. However, even though now in prison unfairly, he works hard, is put in charge of all the other prisoners by the guard. In prison, he interprets a dream for a baker and a cupbearer and correctly tells them the future, only to be forgotten when Pharaoh is looking for someone to interpret his dreams. However, eventually he is remembered, he is summoned to Pharaoh's side, correctly interprets Pharaoh's dream, followed by Joseph being exalted to the highest position in the land next to Pharaoh himself. And here's what Joseph eventually realized in the middle of his difficulties, if he didn't already know it, this is what he realized, that truly God was at work in his life and was blessing him. We we can know this first because when Pharaoh told Joseph he heard he can interpret dreams. Here's what Joseph said. He said, it is not in me. God will give Pharaoh a favorable answer. In other words, Joseph realized that it was God at work to give him the abilities that he had. Joseph knew God was working in him even though his circumstances were difficult. Also, we can look at Joseph when he named his children and listen to what Joseph named his children. It says, Joseph called the name of his firstborn Manasseh, for he said, God has made me forget all my hardship and all my father's house. The name of the second he named Ephraim, for God has made me fruitful in the land of my affliction. See, here was a man who could have still had much to be bitter about. He still could have looked and said, you know what? I'm away from my homeland. He could have still looked and said, I've been separated from my father who loved me. But he wasn't bitter because here's what he recognized, that even in the difficulties, God was blessing. And what I didn't even mention is that not only did God work to bless Joseph, but it was Joseph that God used to prepare Egypt for the famine that was coming and in the process saved the lives of the people of Egypt and all those surrounding Egypt. It was even God working through Joseph that saved his family who had acted against him. In fact, let's take a moment for us all to reflect and make sure that if you find yourself in a time of difficulty, listen, don't take that to mean that God is against you. You hear me? In fact, God is the one working in your life for good. He may even be working in ways that you cannot see. But if you will continue to be faithful to him, you will see that God is up to something good in your life, in your family's life, and in the world. See, Joseph, at least in the end, understood that. And because he did, it allowed him to demonstrate the last thing that I want to see that families need today, that I want you to practice forgiveness freely. You see, one of the most interesting parts of Joseph's story to me is that in the end, When the famine hits the land, Joseph's family is affected to the point that they're going to die of starvation. However, Jacob hears that there's grain to be had in Egypt, grain that is available because of Joseph, unbeknownst to the father. 
And so Jacob sends his sons to Egypt to, to buy food so that they can live. What an interesting turn of events, right? These brothers who once sought to take Joseph's life are now having to go to him in order to live. And as they make their way to Egypt, this is what we read in Genesis 42, 6. And Joseph's brothers came and bowed themselves before him with their faces to the ground. And Joseph saw his brothers and recognized them. You've got to keep in mind, a lot of time has passed between the last time these brothers have seen each other. But at this point, Joseph recognized his brothers who have come to him for food, but they don't recognize him. And if you read the rest of their encounter, you kind of get this feeling that Joseph begins to toy with his brothers a little bit, right? If you've read the story, you know what I'm talking about. And, and maybe he was, but here's what I really think. Joseph was just trying to find information out about his father and his brother Benjamin who were not with him. For time's sake today, I will skip the next part, but fast forward a little because eventually Joseph reveals himself to his brothers who you can imagine were terrified. Listen to Joseph's words in Genesis 45, 4. So Joseph said to his brothers, come near to me, please. And they came near and he said, I am your brother Joseph, whom you sold into Egypt. And now do not be distressed or angry with yourselves because you sold me here. For God sent me before you to preserve life. Wow. Here's a man who had every reason to be angry, right? All right. A man who is now in a position that if he wanted to, he could have got revenge easily on his brothers. But who instead of being bitter and angry, looks at those who have harmed him and saying, look at this, don't be angry at yourselves for God sent me here. In other words, I forgive you because God worked through your meanness. Maybe that's a line we all need, right? Later after their father died, the brothers become fearful again because they assume the only reason Joseph didn't take their life at first was not to hurt their father's feelings. They even went to Joseph with a false narrative saying, before dad died, he told you not to kill us. I'm sure Joseph saw through their lies, but this is what he spoke to them in Genesis 50, 19. But Joseph said to them, do not fear, for am I in the place of God? As for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good, to bring it about that many people should be kept alive as they are today. So do not fear. I will provide for you and your little ones. Thus he comforted them and spoke kindly to them. You see, Joseph, because he did not let bitterness take root in his life, he instead trusted in God to work in his life, even in the difficulties, and was able to look at those who had harmed him and to forgive them freely. Now, how could he do this? First, he knew he wasn't God. I mean, that's what he said to his brothers, did he not? Did he look at him and says, am I in the place of God? What Joseph understood was this, now hear this, that even if there was punishment or vengeance to be had, it was for the Lord to do and not him. Probably a word we all need, right? He trusted those who harmed him to God. And second, he recognized that God truly used what the brothers meant for harm for good. So why should he be mad and carry bitterness in his life? Instead, Joseph chose to forgive freely and to move on with life. He even took care of his brother's needs out of the blessing that God had provided for him. I will go ahead and say right now to families, ready? Practicing forgiveness freely is something that is necessary if peace is going to be maintained in your family relationships. 
Now, granted, some of you are going to say, well, why should I do that? Why should I forgive? You don't know what's happened in my family. Well, I bet some of you already even know the answer. In fact, in just a few moments, we're going to celebrate the answer. You see, on the tables before me this morning are the elements that help us to celebrate the reason why that you should forgive today. I mean, what do they represent? They represent the fact that God forgave us. Not only that, that God worked through what some meant for harm for good. If you look at what Jesus experienced, we would say from a human perspective, it was bad. Here is Jesus, a man who healed many, a man who raised the dead to life, a man who fed the masses and taught like no other, a man who demonstrated what it meant to to love others correctly, a man who never sinned. But what happened? What happened to this man? He was condemned as a criminal unjustly. He was mocked and spit upon without cause. He was nailed to a cross to die in humiliation, though innocent. He was a man who, while dying, looked at those who had done evil against him and said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. He was a man who died so that those very people who harmed him could be forgiven. We are called to forgiveness today because Jesus forgave us. You see, yes, we might look at the cross and say it was a bad thing because Jesus didn't deserve it, but God meant it for good so that we might live. Had Jesus not went to the cross and died for us, we would die, hear me, we would die in a famine in our souls, right? But because Jesus was mistreated and died in our place, We can have the gift of forgiveness and eternal life with God. Yes, what others meant for evil, God meant for good. You see, as we move to an invitation, you have an opportunity to respond to God today. Maybe some of you are parents and you've been playing favorites. You might need to come in and confess that to God and ask him to help you make it right, even with some of your other kids, right? God may be coming to you and some of you look and you say, you know what, I've been... I've been holding on to some bitterness. Today, maybe God wants you to release that bitterness to him. Commit to not letting the sun go down today before you make things right. Some may be in the midst of difficulties today, and what you need to do is you need to come seeking the Lord and saying, God, I trust you in the midst of my difficulties. God, I trust that you're working even when I don't understand, and trust that in the midst of the storm that God is working for good. Even if that storm means somebody else has meant harm for you, know that God is working for good. And others of you today, you just need to come and forgive, laying down before the Lord a burden of unforgiveness that you've been carrying way too long. You need to come to experience your burden being lifted today. You see, the altar is going to be open for all of that for you to come. As we have this invitation, I'm going to make my way to the side. If you need somebody to pray with you during this invitation time, you come. I'll be there to pray with you, to talk with you, whatever we need to do. The others today, if you come to the altar, the altar is open. Feel free to kneel. And the rest of you, here's what I want you to do during this invitation time. I want you to come around and I want you to come to the table in front of your section, grab these elements today if you're a believer in Christ and I want you to take those back to your seats and I want you to hold on to those and I want you to pray. I want you to take a moment. Maybe there is something in your heart today that you need to make right but when your heart is ready before the Lord and you can honestly say, Lord, I trust you. When you can look today and say, God, I've laid down my bitterness. God, I'm not carrying anger. I've given the forgiveness I need to today. When your heart is ready and you're prepared, you take those elements celebrating the fact that forgiveness is possible through Jesus Christ. 
Because as that cracker represents the body of Christ broken for you, that he was willing to hang on a cross for your sins today and you celebrate Jesus, I'm so glad you died for me. And that you can take that juice that represents Christ's blood and say, Lord, I'm thankful that you shed your blood because the scripture says without the shedding of blood, there can be no forgiveness of sin. And God, I thank you that you shed your blood that I might be forgiven. And you take those elements celebrating the goodness of God, all right? Because he is a good God, amen? And we need to celebrate him this morning. So I don't know your need. It's a time of invitation for the altar. I'll pray with you or celebrate the goodness of God through the Lord's Supper, whatever your need. I just pray that you'll let God speak to your heart during this time. Can we stand together this morning? Let's stand together and let me pray as the praise team comes. Let's pray together. Father, as we come to you this morning, Lord, I'm so thankful that we can again look into your word and have examples of how you want us to live, things that we need to deal with. Because Father, I know for those of us today, as we think about our lives in a way that we've had to deal in our families, Lord, we know there's times that Favoritism has played out. There's times that we've had bitterness arise. There's times that difficulties just overwhelmed us. And there's times that forgiveness needed to be given. And Father, at times we would say we've handled those situations right. And times, God, we'd have to say we've not handled them as we should. But Father, as we come to this invitation, Lord, I pray that there will be commitments this morning from people to move forward with your will in their life, whatever that need is. Again, whether it's to change a life that shows favoritism or, Lord, whether it's bitterness that need to be let go or whether today it's a difficulty that needs to be trusted to you or maybe forgiveness that needs to be given. God, I pray in these moments that we would do business with you and let your spirit fill our hearts, fill our souls, fill our minds so that, Father, we would walk in a way that is pleasing to you. Because, Father, we thank you that Jesus made a way for all this to be possible because we know without him, Lord, none of it would be possible. But through Jesus, God, we know this kind of life is possible. So even as we celebrate him today, Lord, we ask your spirit to move in this place. We love you, Father. We just thank you for this moment. This invitation now again, Father, is completely yours. Pour your spirit out of pray. And I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.